This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. We welcome Brian Bloom, who's the CFO at Anodo and in Wharton MBA, class of 14 grad. Brian, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. So um, let's have you start by explaining slowly and clearly, because it's a complex <laughs> issue, <laughs> uh, what Anodo is. No, it's really, it's really simple. We're a risk advisory firm, but we focus on one type of risk in particular, and that's social risk. So that's any sort of population-centric problem, whether it's negative public sentiment, protests, strikes, litigation, mm-hmm. and violence. And what we found is that with the proliferation of communication technologies, mm-hmm. especially social media, mm-hmm. individuals, activist groups, and even nefarious networks like drug cartels have more power than ever before to impact the bottom line for private sector companies and programming from public sector organizations. Before we get into the details, I think it would be helpful to hear some storytelling. If you can tell one story that will sort of help illustrate to our listeners and to us, um, you know, how Anodo plays this role for a client. Yeah, that's great. I, I love telling our origination story. So, oh, fun. Um, it's a little long, but I'll try to shorten it. Um, our founder is a uh, 23-year veteran. He was in the Marine Special Forces uh, in Naval Intelligence. And during his, I think, second tour to Afghanistan, he was tasked by the um, kind of uh, the general in charge of Special Forces to address um, issues that they were having working with communities um, around Afghanistan. So they chose the most complex and most violent province in Afghanistan, Kandahar. And what he did was that he implemented the methodology that we use that uncovers what the dominant identity is in a community. And our kind of premise is, if you can understand someone's identity, then you can shape and influence their behavior. Good human practice in general, right? Exactly. So what, what he uncovered was the dominant identity had nothing to do with religion. It, was not, it wasn't Islam. Hmm. Had nothing to do with tribal, uh, Al-Qazai and mm-hmm. Pafazai tribes. Had nothing to do with their code of conduct, Pashtunwali. It was farmer, out of all things. Wow. And so what were the the problems, if you will, or the dynamics that were arising that made this, you know, Kandahar region the focus? What were the, what were they trying to solve for by identifying this identity issue? Yeah, obviously it was a war zone. So the problem was a lot of, uh, you know, roadside bombs specifically, um, you know, kind of blowing up vehicles that the U.S. and uh, our allies were using. Um, but it was also, there was no economic development. There, aid money wasn't getting in there because the communities just did not want to be involved with the government. So what did, what did the farmer identity unlock? What were you able to do or what were they able to do with that information that helped solve this very significant problem? Well, you really need to understand identity, but you also need to understand what are the underlying grievances? What are the existing issues? What's, you know, what's the history as long as it pertains to what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And so by understanding that uh, the farmer identity was driving their behavior, they were able to tailor uh, economic development programs like training programs for farmers um, and able to increase crop yields over eight months by 350%. And what we saw was a corresponding decrease, tenfold decrease in roadside bonds. Tenfold. Exactly. So what's the hypothesis of, of change that when folks had more economic stability and productive uses of their time, they were I, less likely to do this? You no, know, it's funny you say that. I think that's really a international development idea. Mm-hmm. Um, we we go kind of a layer beneath and ask why, uh-huh. um, and the why is identity. We truly believe that if you can 
and make connections on this personal level. If you can create linkages between, in this case, the community and the local government and the national government, which didn't exist before, mm-hmm. that's what actually so, uh, did it. So it's a fascinating idea, uh, and as a, you know, as, a, as an organizational psychologist, right, it's a it's a really interesting link to identity uh, to hear you describe this. Can you give us another example? Give us an example that that may be closer to home and, and mm-hmm. of a business. You know, whether it's in in an emerging market or in the United States, but a business that needed to understand more about the identity of its stakeholders. Sure. Um, We can use a lot of contemporary, uh, you know, businesses. You know, Pepsi had a problem. Starbucks is having an ongoing problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, The U.S. Olympic Committee is having problems. You know, I'll talk about Starbucks. I'll try to do it a little quicker this time. (laughs) I know that was a longer story. Starbucks has this problem, obviously, two gentlemen in Philadelphia mm-hmm. went in, um, were asked to leave, you know, I think differing stories, but end result, police came, um, you know, took them away, arrested them, and obviously there was a very big public uh, backlash to this. Um, unfortunately, that's not where the problem ends for Starbucks. Um, their reaction, they kind of overreacted, or I actually don't know how they came to their conclusion that they wanted to be this open you know, place for anyone at any time. Because mm-hmm. their policies have changed now to say anyone who's in our store is a customer. Correct. Regardless yeah. of yeah. Correct. any financial transaction, correct? Yep, correct. So um, for us, we really say don't don't um, make decisions based on what you think. Make decisions based on what the data says. So since that time in Afghanistan, we've uh, augmented our methodology with really sophisticated technical tools. Everything from collecting data on social media to using machine learning to uh, to overcome language issues, everything like that. And what we found is that the data is not supporting them to go. People don't want just anyone to be able to come into these stores. Hmm. Um, and when their reaction was to have this open you know, policy, and then I don't know if you, it wasn't as widely covered, but they had to come up with a new policy policy to say, oh, by the way, there's no doing drugs, though, when you Mm. come here, (laughs) and things Uh like that, a lot of homeless issues Mm -hmm. uh, that came up. And so what we try to tell folks is that you need insights into your decisions before you make them. You need to know how are people going to react, how are your customers going to react, how are potential customers going to react, Mm -hmm. how's the community going to react, and folks just aren't really looking at that sort of data set, that population-centric approach. And, and can you talk about the identity that you think of, of Starbucks customers or identity of another organization? Uh, that, you know, like the farmer example is so vis- vivid. I'm, I'm, I'm puzzling about, well, what is it that I should, you know, or the, the Wharton School, what should we understand about the identity of our stakeholders? Sure. I, you know, I wish I had an answer for you. Uh, you know, it's uh, challenging for us because everyone wants to know the answer when we walk in the room. They, <laughs> they hear us and they say, I believe this. This makes sense. I really want. I really want you to do this. What's our identity? I can't. I can't. I can't give it to you in a minute or two. I mean, there's a lot of analysis. There's a lot of rigor. We have a process. It's the methodology. It's the technology. And so, my answer to you is, I don't know. I don't know what. I'll write I, you a contract quote. <laughs> figure it out. Um, I want to talk about impact investing a little bit. Sure. So, um, at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative, our our mission is really to build the evidence base and the talent pipeline for impact investing, which, you know, simply can be stated as investing that drives both a positive financial return and positive social impact. And one of the arguments for impact investing is that it has its eyes open to more forms of risk um, than someone who does not is not concerned with impact. So, for example, if you are interested in impact investing and care about women, you may um, take a look at policies and practices and invest in a way that you are not 
exposing uh, the companies in your portfolio to the risk of sexual harassment, reputation, um, you know, backlash or legal backlash or things like this. Talk to us a little bit in this age of, you know, Me Too and, you know, the sort of very, you know, front page dialogue about women in the workplace. You know, what are folks doing differently? What do folks need to be doing to consider the risk? Yeah, I mean, this is a question we get a lot. Um, We talk about this in the context of culture of organizations. And I think the big challenge is that people look at their corporate culture. I mean, you've just named a few organizations. You can talk about Uber. I mean, there's been a lot going on in kind of the San Francisco area of all these quote unquote great startups Mm -hmm. that when you pull back the curtain, not so great. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, We look at it through, again, the lens of, you know, the population or uh, identity to kind of drive behavior or change behavior. So right now, you don't change culture by just saying, okay, this is our new culture. You need to understand what are the identities of and just break uh, the company up like a, like you would communities. How's this? What's the sales team identity? What's the you know back office identity? What's the you know frontline person at McDonald's identity compared to corporate? You know all these different things. Um, so for us, it, we just run through the same exact process. We run through what what's driving behavior, what are the existing grievances, and we uncover the identity. So then we can create a purpose. We can say the purpose of this. Uh, organization is X because this is the identity we're going to tap into. We're going to get everyone on board and then move forward. And that's how you change behavior. Um, you really need to go to the source of the problem. And that's the behavior itself, the identity that's driving it. Yeah. And, and we're talking, you know, as we look at examples and I imagine where a lot of your sort of triage work comes in, it's reactive um, responses to crises. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the proactive approach for listeners who are thinking, Thank God I'm not in that position yet, but how do I, you know, make sure I don't get there? How how should a company or organization consider the their target identity and how do they build their team and hire with that in mind? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love this. We use this story a lot. Um, I forget which uh, president it was, but he went into NASA and asked a janitor, what do you do here? Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm putting a man on the moon, Mr. President. Right. Oh, right. President cool. Kennedy. Yeah, Kennedy. Right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Should have paid more attention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. um, and so, so I think it's easy to extrapolate the message there, but I, I don't want to do it for you. So, so, what's the advice to companies for how to hire in a way that you'd end up with that experience? I'm happy to help them if they want to give me a call. <laughs> no, to answer your question, it's really, I mean, it is complex. You need to, or it's, it's actually very simple. People have made it complex. They're always trying to do so much. And it really just gets down to what do you want to do? What is your mission? You know, at Anoto, we talk about we accomplish the mission and we take care of the troops. Um, you know, we, we want to be the social risk advisory firm, the premier social risk advisory firm mm-hmm. that everyone goes to. And that's our mission. And it's very simple. And then we look across who's going to help us fulfill that mission, um, who has that passion, whose who's, uh, previous experience shows that they want to help solve society's most complex problems. And that's how we make our decisions. But I can't speak to any specific firm because they need to tell us this is our mission and then we can help them identify who can help them get there. Sure. Are, are impact investors coming to you to assist in the diligence process? Like, hey, we're thinking about investing in the next Uber. Any red flags? Yeah, exactly. That's that's definitely one of the industries that we focus on. Um, we take a little different approach. You know, I mean, you mentioned earlier, a lot of folks go in with their preconceived notions. I want to have an impact on 
women's issues. I was really mm-hmm. big in Afghanistan. Um, I want to have an impact on, you know, this, you know, the farming community. I want to have an impact on that. We don't go in with any preconceived notions. Our idea of impact is what does the community need? What are the basic needs not being met? What are the existing grievances mm-hmm. and how can an investment uh, help them and also use that connection with them to protect their bottom line so they get higher returns? That way everyone wins and it's sustainable because it's something the community cares about as opposed to the investor. I think we have time. We have time for one more question. Yes, I'm, you know, we've been talking with a lot of our guests about how they uh, joined the company that they they did. Uh, so tell us about this. This was a, you know it was short shortly after your graduation from uh, from Wharton that you joined Inodo. So how did this how did you come to join this company? Yeah, really simple. So right before Wharton, I was in Afghanistan working on the National Peace Program. I met the founder James Sisko. Uh, we were friends uh, all throughout school while. I was on my two-year vacation, I call it, and he was working diligently. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I came to Warden, though, and, and wanted to go into investment banking. And it was the first time, not that investment banking is bad at all, it's a great field, really challenging, um, just didn't do it for me. Really liked dealing with people a lot more, being out there, doing things, seeing you know the impact of your labors. And so when I decided I was going to leave, he basically invited me down to D.C., offered me a job and said, come come, help me build this from the ground up, and that's what I did. And it's just being able to have an impact on the world that really drives me every day to do to, to work at Anoto. That's Excellent. Great. Well, we are thrilled to hear it, and, um, and a good reminder, I think, for, for everyone listening to ask themselves that question about, about their current career. Are they happy, or is it is it doing the things that inspire them? Um, so Brian Bloom, CFO at Anoto, thank you so much for being with us and, and sharing that story with us. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.